So, I want a basement club room with a sofa and a pull-out bed. Posters of Chrissy Hine. The
Too late. 
the fence she's falling down my pocket needs some money so i can go in the town my brother isn't working and my sister doesn't care the car she needs a motor so i can go anywhere My mother's always working, she's working very hard, but every time she looks for me, I'm sleeping in the yard. My mother thinks I'm lazy, and maybe she is right. I'll go to work manana, but I gotta sleep tonight. My brother took a suitcase and he went away to school. My father said he only learned to be a silly fool. My father said that I should learn to make a chili pot. But then I burned the house down, the chili was too hot. The window she is broken and the rain is coming in. If someone doesn't fix it, I'll be soaking through my skin. But if we wait a day or two, the rain may go away. And we don't need a window on such a sunny day.
Jelly gland with your theatrics, your acting's a drag. It's okay on TV, cause you can turn it off. Don't try me. Yes, your marriage is a tragedy, but it's not my concern. I'm very superficial, I hate anything official. Sentimental gestures only for me to dance. You've made it that good up to you. Listen to live streaming radio or download a podcast that you can listen on the go. Listen to live streaming radio or download a podcast that you can listen on the go. San Francisco. Between tomorrow and yesterday, between now and then, and now we're. Hello. 
better, said Mike, as if he knew me better than I did myself. Lips His deft fingers rolled my socks down, bringing goosebumps to my knees and tears to my eyes. He was, after all, a public servant, and I, when it came down to it, was hungry for affection, if not love. With his foot, Michael pushed the coffee table out of the way. Tell me you don't want me, he said, enfolding me in his big, strong arms. I don't, I whimpered into the hollow of his neck. Then he was kneeling in front of me, with his face in my crotch, blowing short, hot puffs through the silk of my underwear. My hands were on his shoulders, half pushing him away. One of his fingers inched its way past the elastic on my inner thigh, parting my resistance. His thumb pressed on the tiny, swollen line. Tears were pouring down my face as I hid my embarrassment. I hate you, I hate you, came my muffled cries. Michael pulled me from the couch as if I were a rag doll, all my resistance gone. In one quick motion, he peeled off my underpants and put them on the coffee table next to his revolver. Then he spread my legs and covered me with his body, still fully dressed, kissing my tears and whispering passionately in my ears. All the while, he pressed himself rhythmically into the gnawing ache of my groin. Soon, a wonderful warm wave began radiating through my whole body. An involuntary moan came from my throat as all the pent-up pressures and loneliness began to recede. My hands fell limp by my sides as Michael undressed me. It was as if I were hypnotized, his fingers tracing the curves of my body, his touch both electric and sensual my hips rolling in an unforgettable motion of their own, my breath coming hard and fast as he bent his head to my quivering thighs, licking, licking, with soft little animal sounds, bringing me to a peak of sensation. It was more than I could handle. My mind felt as if it were unhinging, reeling into a starless void. Please, Please. I was afraid and the pleasure had turned to pain. I struggled to free myself from his grip, suddenly sitting up, hands flying, not knowing what to cover first.
But it just doesn't get me Maybe I won't find someone As lovely as you 
the choice of his fate set themselves out upon a plate for him to choose. country all covered with sleep where the black angel did weep not an old city street in the Officials remain, make it hard to forget where you come from. The stools of your eyes serve to realize fame. Choose again. And row 
of misery, praying of the sacrilege recluse for the loss of a hoss with the bowels and the tail of a rat. Come again, choose to go. Comme un delta divin, notre main sur le sable. Anna de Noailles. Dorothy Wordsworth, dying, did not want to read. I am too busy with my own feelings, she said. And all women who have wanted to break out of the prison of consciousness, to sing or shout, are strange monsters who renounce the treasure of their silence for a curious, devouring pleasure. Dickinson, Rossetti, Sappho, they all know it. Something is lost, strained, unforgiven in the poet. She abdicates from life, or like George Sand, suffers from the mortality in an immortal hand, loves too much, spends a whole life to discover she was born a good grandmother, not a good lover. Too powerful for men, Madame de Star, too sensitive, Madame de Sévigné, who burdened where she meant to give, delicate as that burden was and so supremely lovely. It was too heavy for her daughter, much too heavy. Only when she built inward, in a fearful isolation, did anyone succeed or learn to fuse emotion with thought. Only when she renounced did Emily begin in the fierce, lonely light to learn to be. Only in the extremity of spirit and the flesh and in renouncing passion did Sappho come to bless. Only in the farewells or in old age does sanity shine through the crimson stains of their mortality. And Thank you. 
Yes, it certainly has been a party here at the Found Round Sound Show. Come to you directly live from the Mutiny Radio FM studios in the rainy flat mission. Get ready for to watch a movie. On YouTube, full length.
can keep me I wanna stay here With you forever I've got my man Someday I know he's coming To call me He's going to handle me and hold me so It's going to be like dying for me When he calls me But when he calls I know I'll have to go Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. Hi, Mike. Good to see you again. Good to Good do to... this again. Ready yes. to go. Another Sunday afternoon, 2 p.m. as we broadcast first on mutinyradio.fm here in San Francisco. Go ahead. Donate to their Patreon. Go ahead. Donate to their Venmo account. Donate at Venmo is, is at mutinyradio. Uh, you can go to mutinyradio.fm and you can click and find the Patreon link there. Uh, we are here every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 5 p.m. East Coast Time. Oh, there goes my cat. Uh, and we are also a podcast with the acronym L-W-A-F-L-M-O-I-T, as we mentioned up front. And we're also on YouTube. You can subscribe to YouTube and just get it. Carte blank. Carte blank? Blanche. Card blanche, separately, but with the with the video setup. Uh, yeah, you don't have to sync up the our yeah. audio to your real YouTube. We did it for you. Check yeah. out WAFLMOIT on YouTube. Because LWAFLMOIT is let's watch a full length movie on YouTube. So you're gonna listen to our podcast and watch a movie in real time for its entirety right now. Uh, but unless you're watching on the pod, if you're watching on YouTube, Carl's already synced the movie up. 
easy peasy. I handled uh, it. Yeah, we listen. If you're listening to the podcast and not watching the movie, you're not doing it properly. You're That's not right. getting the full experience. No, nope. absolutely. We are parasites, and we must harvest off the carcass of uh, actual <laughs> entertainment to, <laughs> to 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 call attention to ourselves for two hours. And we <laughs> so we are going to watch a full length movie on YouTube. We want you to go to YouTube, find the movie, and watch it with us. Carl, what is the movie this week? This week we are watching the Fantastic Four, nineteen ninety four. The Fantastic uh, Four, nineteen ninety four. That's what you put in the YouTube search engine. The channel we like is Actors Filming. Actors Filming. Yeah, it's not cameramen. Cameramen acting. It's Actors Filming is the channel we like. You can tell it's a good movie right now because no director actually filmed this movie. <laughs> All right, so go ahead and type in Fantastic Four 1994. Look for the uh, version hosted by acting, actors filming. Filming. Yeah. Not acting filmers. Actors filming. I was going to say, this is the second time our show has done it. This is the first time with Carl, and the first time since there's more information available about this film. So we're really excited to watch it again. It was on YouTube. Uh, you know, I, you start off a show called Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube. You go straight to the heavy hitters. You go to the 1994 Fantastic Four. <laughs> I don't know. You look for the Chuck Perry video. You look for everything you could possibly look for. And uh, it was on YouTube, and then it got yonked, and now it's back on. It's been on for a while. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, so it's great. We're going to revisit this episode. And I should say, with every bad movie, the joy is experiencing it and talking about it. So if other people have talked about this movie, it's just, what can we say? It's a great, bad movie. It's on YouTube. That's the premise of our show. We like, you know, I read about this <clears throat> infamously, and uh, now I got to see it. So we're going to go ahead and see it. So go to Fantastic Four 1994, find the version from hosted by actors filming, hit pause, move the meter to zero, zero, zero. And at the count of three, when you hear go, press go. Now, you're going to hear go from our special comedian, celebrity, comedian, countdown person who may not even be a comedian and may not even be hosted by Carl. Take it away, Carl. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Celebrity Countdown, this time with Chris Gore. Sure. Chris Gore. Welcome, Chris. You guys are very enthusiastic. I, I haven't had my morning coffee. So... <laughs> I just put well, a second pot. Today we're watching Fantastic Four, 1994, the Roger Corman mega blockbuster, right? And the reason we've got you on is in the service of Film Threat uh, magazine, you were on set for the entire filming, right? All 21, 25 days, was it? Uh, for most of the shooting, yes. It was around the holidays at the end of the year, but I was there, yeah. Now, that's unusual, really. Is that because it was going to be a cover story you spent so much time? Uh, well, it ended up being a cover story, so I was on the set for filming. And, and yeah, um, th the reason that they needed to start shooting before the, before the end of the year was because contractually, if they hadn't started shooting a movie before the end of the year, they would, you know, they would have lost the rights to the Fantastic Four, this German company. Yeah, so they were, it was so quick to. This, yeah, this German company hired Roger Corman to just make a Fantastic Four movie that they had no intention of ever releasing 
unbeknownst to everyone working on the movie, yeah, uh, they thought they were making the Fantastic Four movie, and they were super excited. I was excited because the Fantastic Four is, I mean, it's my <laughs> gateway comic book. It's between that and Batman, it's the, you know, two comic, you know, uh, franchises that I love the most. So when I heard they were going to film, I, I said, I want to be there because I had just done a story on a movie called Carnosaur, which was Roger Corman's ripoff of Jurassic Park. So, um, so that would just sort of led me to being on the set the in, almost the entire time, the entire shoot. Which now I don't, we I, did um, Carnosaur on this podcast also, and we it was horrible, horrible film, terrible. Yeah, it's, I'm in it. I'm in it. It's horrible. Are you really? Yeah. Are you? Yeah, I'm where in where it. are you? I am in the scene where these two characters are loading cages of, right. I think, chickens uh, onto a truck. Yes, towards and the I, beginning. And I, my line is, I changed it. I said, can you give me a hand with, the line was, can you give me a hand with this? And I said, can you give me a hand with this load? Just because I wanted right. to say the word load. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it I did worked. it for every take, and it's in the movie. <laughs> okay, I'm so, going to have to watch it again. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so the the uh, filming of uh, uh, Fantastic Four took place in some of the same settings that uh, Carnosaur took place. And I understand that this building was condemned with rats in it and a cat that would Case the rats. Do you have any story about the condemned building, your experience there? I don't, I never saw any rats, but it was pretty ugly. And I did notice because I was on the set for Carnosaur. We did a story about that. Then I was, you know, it's like, oh, they're just recycling the same sets for the Fantastic Four, <laughs> which was weird. It's like, and they barely repainted it. It's like, I will throw some stuff up there on the wall and this and whatever. You know, he didn't seem to care. What I do remember is, is that, um, if I recall correctly, like Roger Corman's famously cheap. I mean, uh -huh. he's famously cheap, and I, I I interviewed him once, and I got him to pose with a penny. So <laughs> he's holding a penny up to his eye, and we had a photographer take a picture of him holding a penny just to kind of show how cheap he was. And I do recall that when I was working, I was hanging out on the set and whatnot, that someone was let go for buying name brand soda. Like, you can't buy, like, Coke or Pepsi. You had to buy, like, whatever the low brand, like, local grocery store brand of Coca-Cola was. Like, whatever, you know, generic brand snacks. Like, don't get fancy snacks, you know. So I, I thought that was really funny. That's, like, that's, that's how, how much he was pinching pennies. Now, we saw the uh, documentary Doom to prepare our research for the film. And in it, you talk uh -huh. about how, like, at first you were very giddy to be on the film. I mean, you were a fan, you know. But as time yeah. moved on, you started to realize this was going to be a B-movie. Yeah, I mean, I, it was sort of this sad realization, especially when I saw the costumes, right? It's like, here they're in their Fantastic Four costume. And it's literally felt fours glued onto... These spandex is literally just spandex where, you know, they're shooting with certain angles to not show how haphazardly those costumes were assembled. The other thing was <clears throat> we did a, a cover photo shoot for Film Threat <clears throat> with all of the four characters, right? The main four. And <clears throat> what I loved was their enthusiasm. Actors, Alex Hyde-White, who actually ended up being in the third Indiana Jones movie, who's an established actor, 
who now does voice acting. Alex does voice acting for uh, he does he does a lot of voiceover for audiobooks. Great guy, great guy. And Alex Hyde White, he was just so earnest about this part. He cared uh-huh. so much about it. And looking back on the movie, it's probably the most accurate incarnation, at least to Stanley and Jack Kirby, what they had intended to do with the Fantastic Four. Just in tone, felt like, oh, this is like the first hundred issues that Jack Kirby and Stan Lee did of the Fantastic Four, right? Yeah, so, agree. So, so that was great aspect and the, the earnestness of everyone involved with the exception of I think Roger Corman it was just concerned <laughs> with like let's just get this done and do it cheap the thing that was really sad was we did a photo shoot so we had like all four characters right and we put them against the set and I hired this photographer shooting and um, this is a story that I told that didn't make it into the documentary by the way this is like a bonus feature here but the actress I believe her name is Rebecca Staub she yeah. played Sue Storm, Invisible Girl, and this, let's just say that these spandex outfits left nothing to the imagination, <laughs> and there was serious camel toe that had to be touched up to put, you know, to be able to put this photo on the cover of Film Threat. I don't think she was wearing underwear. Okay, so, so in post-production, you had to... We had to touch up those photos so as not to be uh, graphic. And, and um, you know, I remember, like, we're, we're shooting this, and I'm looking, I'm going, like, I don't know, is it, this could be a problem. We're going to have to put text over that. You know what <laughs> I mean? We're going to have to cover it up in some way. So, wow. Yeah. Now, w- uh, in the plot, Sue makes the outfits. Do you think that excuses their cheapness, right? They're homemade. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it is an excuse to excuse, to, you know, make, make them, you know, and that's actually right out of the comic book, by the way, mm-hmm. which I which I thought was great. But yeah, I guess you can excuse the cheapness. And yeah, she should not have been a seamstress. Yeah, Sue right. Storm <laughs> should be, you know, she should be, you know, a girlfriend who, you know, will just go away, just go away when she turns invisible, and just disappear. <laughs> right? That was Kirby's attention, I'm sure. Her, I guess, I guess, I don't know. But I, I, you know, like. Look, I was a super fan. I'm like, the fact that, you know, I was living in a time where there was even a Fantastic Four film being made. I mean, look, yeah. you have to think, this was, this was the 90s, right? Like, the we're now living in a time, Spider-Man. we're now living in a time where we have the luxury of complaining about the latest Disney Plus series when who knew that there'd ever be a Hawkeye show or a Boba Fett show, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's like, now there's like so much geek stuff that it's like, oh, wow, there's a lot of crappy geek, geek stuff now, but Back then, it was few and far between. It'd be like a couple movies a year, maybe a TV show. So I was ecstatic, like, oh my god! And um, yeah, so so it was it was for me like it was like summer camp, you know, because my responsibility was, you know, hey, I'm not making the movie, right? I don't right. You're observing, and I was just there as an observer to do a story about it. And they compliment you in the Doom documentary too. Now, I was a big fan of the comic book, uh, yeah, especially, yeah, the 60s one. And and don't you think things should have been a little bigger, right? Broader shoulders, thighs, huger. Chris, what, you... what was the thing costume like in real life? Like, did it look cool? It looked um, decent. Well, it was weird because the actor who played Ben Grimm was taller than the actor who was in the thing costume. Yeah, yeah. But the thing costume in real life actually looked pretty good. Like, like the... Um, Optic Nerve Studios was the studio that that did you know the practical effects 
on on the film and they really put their heart and soul in it i mean soul into it i mean for them i'm sure they didn't make any money i mean like i know they were paid but at the end i guarantee they didn't really make weren't weren't paid what what, you know the time that was put into it and i think that they looked at on it as like well this is going to be this is for us going to be like a portfolio piece right like and they really, really just put a lot of effort in that costume. They tried to make it accurate to the Kirby comics. And I, I would say that it's more accurate than the, you know, other Fantastic Four film that came out later. And then the one that came out, you know, more recently, um, directed by Josh Trank. I mean, like, those are just sort of weird interpretations. Theirs is the most accurate to the comic book. With and the to the brow. Comic book is, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the brow and everything. Like, they got that right. It, it, it moved, you know, and certain places and so you know it's a lot of it is how you photograph but i actually thought that was one of the things that worked out really well with it was that costume the way that that character was portrayed now that guy was carl cafalio and he was a huge stunt man he went on to so much work and did so much work before it but he reports that the suit was the hottest thing he's ever worn did you see him struggle with it oh yeah oh 100 percent. he he had problems with it right like it was you know, I mean, you sign up to be a monster in a costume. That's yeah. what you're going to be. Right? You should know what you're getting into, right? Yeah, you're the yeah. thing. Now, they report there was no rehearsal. They just started rolling. There was more, like, about blocking. Did you see – What did you have an impression, like, uh, this is a little rinky-dink here? I mean, I think when you look at it on screen, I think it came out okay. I think some of the acting was strong. Yeah, like, if it was, if it was a movie that was made for television, I think that – it would like, oh, this is pretty decent. You know, they, they tried to remain faithful to the comic and faithful to the characters as they were, you know, portrayed in the comic book. I'm fearful that this, they keep talking about a new Fantastic Four movie. I think, I think based on sort of the direction that Marvel's going, I think it'll be pretty awful. Uh, mm-hmm. I really don't have a lot of faith in it, but this is, this was, but if this were a movie to be released in theaters, I think it would be kind of lackluster. I mean, you know, Johnny Storm doesn't really even turn into fully the Human Torch until the very end of the movie. Right. One sort of last shot that was very early digital, like before digital effects were really a thing, right? I like, think it looked okay. It was fine for the time. There just wasn't enough of it. And and I think they knew that. You could tell from the script that it was kind of anemic, like they were writing around having to do special effects, right? So um, that was sort of a that was a red flag right there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, also, um, I heard that Stan Lee was on the set. Did you meet him? What was his yes. attitude like? Was he? Yes, I, he, I mean Stan is. I mean, you know, if there's something going on, Stan Lee's gonna gonna be there and be a part of it. So yeah, he was on the set, but it was more just a glad hand, and yeah. I think that gave people confidence too. Yeah, because like it was you know, an endorsement. Yeah, it was definitely an endorsement, and I'm sure that Stan knew about the rights situation, that it was really about this German company holding on to the rights, uh, you know, so so what can you say? But, but you know, that was, this is pre, like, Marvel being Marvel, right? This yeah. is Stan Lee just, like, trying to get something going. I think Blade was really the first breakout of a Marvel character that was put on screen that was successful. I mean, there were, there were you know, there were television attempts that were yeah. pretty decent there like was the captain Hulk show. america on a bike right on a motorcycle yeah, yeah right. the captain america movie don't remind me but then there was also like 
the television series. There was um, Spider Man. You know, there was the Bill Bixby Hulk show yeah. with Ferrigno. Yeah. That was fun. It wasn't like you know, it wasn't the Hulk that we have now for Marvel. Right. But it was hey, it was it was a tragic, fun sort of you know Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde story, right? And then there was the Nicholas Hammond Spider Man show, right, in the seventies. Which Nicholas Hammond, by the way, has a cameo at the end of Spider-Man: No Way Home. Oh, he's hey. in it. Everyone talks about oh, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield. Hey, I noticed Nicholas Hammond was <laughs> in it. So Nicholas Hammond is in the in at the very end of Spider-Man: No Way Home. Uh, uh, you see, they're in they're in the diner, and you know Peter Parker goes to visit MJ and observes MJ talking to. A patron at the donut shop, and that's Nicholas Hammond. Gotcha. No Nic- kidding. Nicholas Hammond also played the director who directed um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh. Now we so, Quentin Tarantino put him in there, and he plays the director who directs the western, and he's kind of trying to coach, you know, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. That's kind of so. neat. Neat. So. So uh, there was a uh, two-part Spider-Man, you know, on the television show that they stuck together and and released in Europe as a a feature. Uh, And we saw that on this show. That was a lot of fun, you know. Wow. Yeah. It was good. Now, I believe that Roger Corman had every intention to release this film. And it wasn't until he got the phone call from Avi... The Marvel guy, that was the first second that he said, okay, we're not releasing this, right? Do do you agree? Yeah, I think that I don't know that their intention was ever to release it. I think their intention was to shoot it, and and that was it. I mean, obviously, I got a bootleg copy of it years later, but I also did a thing where we, um, we took the cast of the Fantastic Four, like all four of them did a signing at the Film Threat booth in at San Diego Comic-Con, and it flooded the aisles. I think we sold like 2,000 issues of that comic. A lot of people had already haven't had an issue of it, and they signed every single one, That's and uh, the cast was great. I th- the year later that Comic-Con did a rule, like, we have to have an autograph area. We can't have people <laughs> clogging up the you aisles. You guys did that. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, yeah. That's <laughs> um, one. No, it, Oh, anyway, so that was that was like a delight to like have them all there, and what was weird was just how enthusiastic those those main actors were. You know, I saw that in that documentary that yeah. the enthusiasm of the crew, like they did everything. They promoted the hell out of that movie at every convention. They were the voice of that movie, and you know, a fan on their like own my, dime. Yeah, on their own dime, and like a fan like myself would get excited because there really is such a thing, and there's such enthusiasm to it. I mean, I was excited, you know, like I like I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would, you know, there'd be a Fantastic Four movie made. Like, <laughs> what the hell? Like, that's crazy. I so, remember reading the comics, uh, you know, at 11 years old, 10 years old, thinking they should make these into movies. You know, why aren't they doing that? You know, well, they had the cartoon well, show. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, there was the animated Fantastic Four cartoon. There were two of them, one in the 60s, which used the Human Torch and then. Another one that came later, yeah. I think it was in the late 70s, right. where they had Herbie the Robot because they were afraid kids were going to light themselves on fire to oh. get a human torch, which I guarantee you Marvel is going to address that in some way. Like, they're trying to figure out how do we do the Fantastic Four and not, like, have kids 
light themselves on fire? And then how do you make it practical? Like, okay, if he ignited himself on fire and was in the kitchen that I'm in right now, that would probably destroy and melt the kitchen. He could, you know what I mean? Like, yes. there's just sort of practical real world things. Okay, if you're going to have these characters now exist in the real world, how do they, how does it work? Now, did Film Threat go on to do an article to cover the fact that Fantastic Four would not be released? Did you follow up? Well, the, we never did because we could, we could never get any answers, right? Uh -huh. You know, we did that cover story, and I remember, um, uh, I, I remember Tony Timpone from Fangoria magazine called me out of the blue and said, ah, oh, you really scooped this on that one. Because I'd been doing stories where because I was in Hollywood, I could just go to the sets of these movies and we covered Carnosaur and, you know, we just were getting access to like low budget indie movies, which is kind of film threats, bread and butter. I mean, we cover independent film, right? So, I mean, Roger Corman is an independent filmmaker. Yeah. And they but, went to Troma too uh, at first. Troma said no, right? I mean, the documentary taught me that. Right, right. So, so uh, you know, but we didn't know. I mean, we just did the story, and I wanted to be very comprehensive. I grew up reading Cinefantastic magazine and Starlog and and uh, you know Fangoria, and, and I read all those magazines as a kid. I was I was a magazine junkie, <laughs> at, a, at you know at the time at, in that era, and I think. At one point, I had 50 magazine subscriptions. This is before yeah. the internet. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. Before That's the internet. Right. And just so people who may not know, magazines are like the internet, but on really thin slices of wood. And yeah. you can read them. <laughs> That's a good way to well, say you, it. You know, this podcast That's exists. Exact for, yeah. We, we, we're doing this podcast because I used to read Psychotronic yeah. Video all the time. Yeah, and I love like that magazine. Video. Yeah, I love it. And I, I would say, oh, my that God. magazine. That I, I, and then just like. There were so many great ones at the time, and I just wanted to be Film Threat sort of had its own niche, which was indie film, right? That was our, that was what we focused on. And sometimes that crossed over into genre stuff. So um, certainly a lot of, you know, low-budget underground films were horror, sci-fi, et cetera. So, so yeah, I, I, you know, like, I just think that there was never a final word, right? Like, they said, you know, oh, it's on hold, or it's this, or whatever, and then you know, it just sort of got forgotten. It mm -hmm. became like a lost film. Yeah. yeah. Now, Mike used to read these magazines, but he couldn't go see the film. He was young. He's not going down to the Ziegfeld Theater in Manhattan. So that's why right. we have this show today, because they're all on YouTube now. They're all on YouTube. Everything I read in Psychotronic, oh, wow. everything I read in my film books, and I had to take the really? film books. Yeah, well, because, you know, Fantastic Four, I read about it in Film Threat. I, I you know, and that was it. So I just wow. had a base... So thanks to YouTube, the great yeah. equalizer, I can just finally watch it. And then Wow, that's just, great. Yeah. Now what was George Gaines doing on set? I mean, we're talking Punky Brewster, we're talking uh Police Academy. Did they know they had a star here? Why didn't yeah, they? Yeah, he was do the biggest name. Oh, uh I don't know that I don't know. <laughs> were you there to see George Gaines? No, I'm not sure if I met met him on set, and I probably would not know. I mean, I wasn't like even at the time, like and I don't, I tend to not watch mainstream television of any kind. Like, uh, you know, people tell me constantly about the Big Bang Theory yeah. and stuff. And like, I hate, I, I think I've watched that show and I, I'm not, not a fan. So when it comes to like mainstream anything, I'm pretty blissfully unaware. So <laughs> I wouldn't have even known who he was anyways, because I 
never seen an episode of Punky Brewster. Were you there the day that they shot the classroom scene, which in, in the beginning, when he's sitting next to Ben Grimm? Um, I don't think I was there. Okay, that. okay, because that was his big moment. That was his know. big moment. Yeah, yeah. I just think they should have used him. He was a big star. He could have been the Alfred the Butler to them or something. I don't know. They should have squeezed it in. Yeah. Okay, so, Chris, now, everyone at home is poised to watch this film at the exact same time as we do here in the studio. They're all going to press play together. So why don't you go ahead and give us that celebrity countdown? Wait, wait, really? How, where yeah. am I counting down from? Three. Three. Okay, Three, two, one, right. go, but it's got to be paced. And so we, we everyone... should, why don't we go from four, three, two, one? Because of Fantastic Four? Yeah. Right. There you go. Okay. All right, so we're going to watch We're gonna watch the Fantastic Four, the classic Roger Corman movie, and here we go. We're going to count down from four, three, two, one, play. All right, very excited. Thank you for that Celebrity Comedian Countdown. New Horizons. New Horizons, that of course is... Right. Uh, We're about to watch Munchies, right? We would have watched a few New Horizon videos, straight to video. Uh, this wasn't even straight to video. No, it, it wasn't released at all. You see how this, they, whoever put this up here for us stuck, snuck in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in 1994, there was no such thing. If you don't know anything about this movie and you see that in the beginning, you're all right, ready to go, right? All right, yeah. Surprise. Hey, man, I watched, I watched 26 movies to get one storyline. I missed the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe movie. You got to watch it. Well, this is some trippy special effects already. Uh, do you hear the music? Did I? Well, I guess so. I mean, the people who wrote the music spent $6,000 of their own money to hire an orchestra. And we learned that from the documentary about this film. We should mention the documentary is, is almost as fun as the movie. It's called um, Doomed. Doomed. Which is the true story of this film where all the actors you see here in the opening credits, uh, Rebecca Stab takes a stab at it. Uh, <laughs> stab. <laughs> Michael Bailey Smith took a Smith at it. <laughs> He did. He, uh, oh, oh, he was Ian Trigger. Yeah, he was Trigger. Ian Trigger. So, um, yeah, it's okay. It's just a documentary about how this film didn't get released, you know, and we'll talk all about it, you know. And you've seen it, and so have I. I have. I I have not seen it recently. I forgot George Gaines is in it. But yeah, no, George Gaines is from Police Academy movies. At least that's how yeah. you know him and love him. Oh, 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 uh, and uh, Punky Brewster's father. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, and, and and the guy from Victor Victoria. Okay. Uh, yeah, Punky oh, Brewster. Do, do go on, do go on. He was Henry Warnamount in Punky Brewster. He was command, Commandant Eric Lassard in Police Academy. And he retired from acting at the age of 86. It was 2003. Um, and he passed away. He was old when he passed away. Yeah, no, you know, he spoke many languages. He, he spoke Russian. Seven languages. That's right. He he was actually born in in a country that – I didn't write it down because I didn't think we would be focusing on this guy. So. He was born in a country in Eastern Europe that was part under the Soviet Union at the time. 
Why would we focus our ourselves on Punky Brewster's father? He's like the only star in this movie. Yeah, he's the only one. That's right. Uh, there's the director. God bless. Oli. Oli. Oli was a music video director, and this was a big, big deal for him uh, because he was going to oh, – up there he is, George Gaines. George Gaines up front. Get the star up front like Bruce Willis. And then the last three minutes he shows up. Yeah. No, except he's going away even from this, right? Oh, he's done after this. Bring me Tackleberry. <laughs> punky, oh, Punky. Oh, Punky. All this scene is showing us is Reed Richards is really smart, and he's friends with Ben Grimm, who wouldn't be in the same class with him. He doesn't have his brains at all. So you're talking about Ben Grimm from the Fantastic Four, that big do doofus from Yancey Street or whatever, a Clancy Street? or Well, that was the gang that used to tease him. Oh, 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 yeah. Uh, he had a lot of troubles, that Ben Grimm. Yeah. He's, like, he's literally a monster. Oh, he was very grim, and he was literally a monster. Now, what we're learning now is Colossus is coming. Colossus is coming. Now, nothing goes faster than the speed of light except for Colossus, which is a comet-like energy source. It is radioactive, and every 10 years it passes Earth, okay? Uh -huh. But um, it's going to be the closest that it's ever been to Earth tonight. So we Colossus is like a comet or something, like a yeah, meteor? Yeah, ball of energy. It's it nothing to do with Galactus. Right. It has nothing to do with Galactus. All right. Colossus. And it is, it is not a comet. It's like energy, like a ball of energy. And it's all whammy-jammy radioactive, and it's zapping in the insides and stuff, you know. And they, there's Victor Von Doom yeah. on the left talking uh -huh. with Reed Richards about their plans tonight to harness the energy from Colossus. Oh, okay. I was going to go on a date with Sue Storm, Richard, but I'll, I'll be glad to do your project tonight. What could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Wait till you meet Sue Storm. She's just a little girl, and you're going to be like, this is creepy. Well, is she a college student? Nope. She's a little girl. She's like nine. Or maybe she's like 12. She's going to be like 12 or 14. You'll see. How old is her brother, Johnny Storm? Like seven or eight, from the looks of him. Wait a minute. They have well, kids. I mean, this, they... is, this is the or okay. See these two goofs. Yeah, they're like goons for Victor already. Like Victor is already like a monarch back home. Right. That's right. So it's kind of weird. We don't know. Oh, there she is. There that's she Stu is. Storm. I can't see Stu Storm. Oh, there she is. He's invisible. <laughs> He's an invisible Ooh. woman. Up oh, there's Johnny. Hothead. He's a hothead. Oh, he's playing that video game that looks like a cartoon. Right. The really real, right? Yeah. Look at look at it's drawn. It's a drawn cartoon. They're getting epilepsy. I'm getting epilepsy. <laughs> so that's Ben Grimm, and I guess he's friends with Johnny and uh, Sue. Oh, he likes to hang out with the seven, eight-year-old boy. I guess yes. Oh, but it's her boarding house, so I guess he's he's a he lives there. Yeah. And here's Reed Richards, and Sue has a crush on Reed Richards. Oh, he's dreamy. They weren't married in the sixties, right? They got married later. 
No, they were married in the 60s. Look at the kiss, right? She goes, oh, my. she touches her cheek. He's got a little girl crush on him. Oh. But they're married, right? <laughs> Not <laughs> yet. <laughs> oh, so she's going to be like, sure, Victor, I would love to go on a date. And then Reed's like, oh. Reed would be like, that is inappropriate. That's uh -uh. a little girl. Victor Von he Doom. Says, like, he's dreamy, and then Johnny goes, you're gross. <laughs> so funny. Why did I get the girl? How come everything goes wrong for a guy named Von Doom? <laughs> Do you think the Fantastic Four is interesting? Okay, so um, when I was 10, 11 years old, um, I would collect comic books. And, yeah, I loved the Fantastic Four. I had them all. Jack Kirby, he was really – his art brought it to life. You were It felt like you were watching a movie as you read the comic. Right, yeah. Well, and, everything's so square and weird and right. shaped. Yeah. It's all – it's stylized. And he, you know, he's got a theme going on. He's sharp edges and creases, you know. He, he does a lot of shading. It's jagged and – you know, like he would extend the finger out in the drawings and the knuckles would be all like, like it was a skeleton almost. Well, he was always fun, like in outer space, his cartoons would always have like just weird things in the background and foreground. And given a chance to do a two-page spread or a one-page spread, stuff's kind of all out there. Yeah, I guess that's interesting. But the, the idea of this family just being superheroes. Yeah, well, they're not a family. Well... I guess you've got a husband, you've got spouses and a right. brother, and then a good friend. They certainly right. become a family. That's but, right. Ben Grimm is not related. Here's Colossus. It's the Lazarium, right? Right. Can you imagine, like, a ball of energy is passing, and it's like a lightning. Okay, that's the thing. They're going to suck it up, and they're going to get the whammy jammy. You'll see. Oh, so, so they're already planning to harvest this. Yeah, that's right, because it's coming tonight, and it's the closest they'll ever be to Earth. Only comes around once every 10 years. Right, well, they can come back in another 10 years. Oh, yeah, but they don't want to. It's here. They've got the equipment. they got the tools. they got the power. They're gonna so this, this movie reminds me a lot like My Science Project with this, uh, Dennis Hopper, who had like balls of energy and also electrical devices like this. Don't remember. I do remember that film. You like Parker? What was it? Oh, Parker wait a Fisher? second. I was thinking. Oh, I was thinking of a different one. You mean the one we saw? Yeah, with Fisher Stevens. Yeah. No, look, Fisher Stevens. What's happening uh, is it's it, it, their calculations weren't right, and it's too hot. They can't harness the energy. It's more like it's like imagine if you wanted to capture electricity, but instead it like. Heats up your whole, you know, you, you don't have the capacitors for it. So they're getting a whammy jammy. Now, Reed is like, let's get out of here. But Doom is like, I will not fail. And so he gets bazapped. See? Right. Are they not going into outer space and get hit by gamma rays and, and come back all weird? That's, it's, well, that's coming. Oh, all right. So what's happening here on Earth? Like, Doom gets hurt first? Yeah, they're grad students. They tried to harness Colossus' energy. Doom w 